Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brother Cousins podcast. We are continuing our March 2023 theme of masculine archetypes in the scripture with today's episode on the archetype of the priest. So today, Jared, Jeffrey, and I are going to be discussing the um, concept of a Christian's role as a priest in the kingdom of God, and very specifically, how we exercise that role as a priest, as the spiritual leader, the spiritual head of our home. So um, as we've as we've done a couple of times, we want to say what we're not saying so that you can clearly hear what we are going to say. So, Jeffrey, I know that you had um, some thoughts about this um, that you wanted to articulate about how um, even though we are the head of our family and we are a, a priest and a king before God, um, so are our wives. Right. Um, and so they've got a role to play in that, too. So talk to us a little bit about how that role as a as a priest or as a spiritual head of our home interplays with the wife also having that same blessing and that same right in the kingdom of God. We can start out in First Peter chapter two and. I just want to read a couple of passages here because I think it'll frame this thought says pretty well. Okay. It says in verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then as you skip down to verse 10, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we take a step back with this passage, and it makes it very clear that whenever you have come to God through Jesus Christ, that you are now part of this royal priesthood. You are right. God's chosen nation, and that includes all people who come to God through Jesus, men and women. And so, you know, as we go through this topic of biblical masculinity and we go through some of these archetypes, we're going to put a lot of emphasis on how we believe it is the man's role to take the lead in this not mm -hmm. that women are not priests not that they are not a part of this chosen but men have a responsibility to take up the gauntlet and be the one who takes the first step so we go back yeah. to the very first episode of this particular month and we talked about you know some of the the roles of a masculine king is that if they're going to go into battle, that the king is the first one to go into battle. If a life is going to be laid down, it's going to be him who lays it down. And so we want to take this concept and apply it to this priesthood aspect and say, yes, we can all be priests, but men have this responsibility to take that first step and to really set the tone in their household of how we're going to be the people of God. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think you explained that really well. And there's, there is just such a need for men to stand up and, and to do it first. 
And uh, Jared, you know, you you brought up in in the pre-show talk uh, passage from Ezekiel 22, 29 through thirty. Uh, Jared, I would love it if you could read that and kind of and kind of walk us through that and some of your thoughts about standing in the breach. So in Ezekiel twenty two, God is is talking to Ezekiel about his judgment, and he has given a laundry list the the list of charges, as it were. Mm -hmm. against the children of Israel. And he concludes that in verse 29, he says, the people of the land have practiced extortion, committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I stopped for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me, before the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Mm. And he continues that with, therefore I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have returned their way upon their head, declares the Lord. And so this idea of standing in the breach, as I read it here in Ezekiel, in the context in which it's given, God wanted this priest figure, this this head figure, to stand in that breach before him for Mm -hmm. the people or on behalf of the people. As we talked about, Jesus fulfilling these archetypes, we see that is exactly what he did. Yeah. That he stood in the breach for the people of God. And we've talked about Revelation 5 a lot and how Jesus redeemed the people for God. I love that passage in in Peter where we are told we as the human race are now God's people. People who are not a people, you weren't a nation, but now you are the nation of God. And and we could spend a whole episode talking about that, but yeah, we go to God on behalf of everyone around us as husbands, and this is something we also talked about in the, the first episode, how the husband is the head of the wife in that Ephesians 5 concept. What it means is you're the front runner, and I love Jeffrey's illustration there of the king being the first in battle. Yeah. You know, I've heard the saying that a leader takes a little less than their share of the credit and a little more than their share of the blame. Right on. And that's a role that we want to play as husbands. And so while we're going to focus on husbands and being the one to stand in the breach on behalf of our families, which is exactly what we should be doing. It it is a role that can be filled by God's people where they see a need in the, in the ideal situation is not in front of them. There are going to be situations where you have an unbelieving spouse or a, a spouse that falls away or a widow or an unmarried person. And so you fill the roles as you find the need arises. But for husbands, this is absolutely put upon us. Right. Yeah. Other people can do it. It's it's just like the the idea of the prophet. Other people can stand in. But if you're the guy, then you're the guy. Like literally God will ask you, why didn't you fulfill the responsibility that I laid on you? So I'm going to borrow another passage from Ezekiel here in the watchman. And God lays the responsibility upon the watchman Mm -hmm. to blow the trumpet when he sees the army coming. Now, if someone else happens to be up and hears the army coming, they can sound the alarm but the watchman is responsible for that job. It is his job. And as husbands, God has made us the watchman for our family. Uh, yeah. And, and, and when 
when there is something that's in a family that's wrong, and we know that every family has problems. Like if if we discovered in our family that we had been doing something or practicing something that we learned was a sin before God. It's not my kid's job and it's not my wife's job to go to God in prayer on behalf of our family and, and confess that fault and to repent of that and to make the first steps. The dad has to lead the charge and say, I, this, is, this was my responsibility. I was the father. I was the leader and it happened on my watch. So we've got to go to God first and say, Lord, I, I confess, you know, I, I messed up. This was wrong. Teach us how to, to make it right. Yep, that's right. And as husbands and fathers, when we, you know, I guess first part of this is we should be vigilant. And that vigilance mm-hmm. starts in God's word, a life dedicated to living God's word. And to do that, you have to be studying God's word, exercising yourself in that. And the next step is considering how your family is using God's word, just like you, the illustration you gave. And an example you gave, and I, I want to touch this so we can kind of progress to the next idea. As a father, you've got children. I have children that cannot pray for themselves. Yeah. That they, they don't understand. They can't drive themselves to a different worship assembly. They can't take themselves to, to fellowship with the saints mm-hmm. and they can't open God's word yet and physically read the words of life. Yeah. And so as a father, that responsibility sits on my shoulders and I can shirk that responsibility or I can acknowledge that responsibility and fulfill it. And that allows us the opportunity like we see executed by Job. Yes. A man that had really, really high praise from God. Yeah, let's let's go there. So Job chapter one and verse five says, and when the days of the feast so basically Job's their their children would they would have basically uh dinner parties in each other's houses uh job one and five and when the days of the feast had run their course job would send and consecrate them and he would rise early in the morning and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all and here's job's rationale for job said it may be that my children have sinned and cursed god in their hearts and thus job did continue Uh, And I know that we are not under the patriarchal age, you know, thank the Lord. And that I'm not going to go offer a burnt sacrifice for my kids. But this idea of being an intercessor, I think, is such a great concept and such a great example we see coming from the faith of Job. And there's there's so many things here um, just in this passage. But what we see is a man with grown children and it's possible this guy's a contemporary of Abraham. Uh So we're talking a long time ago, kids likely matured faster. We know they're old enough to be out on their own, going to each other's houses, living separately. So grown kids that have their own lives, he knows what they're doing. And so he is stepping in as it were stepping in the breach Mm-hmm. before God to offer sacrifices on their behalf. Now, as you mentioned, we can't offer a sacrifice on behalf of our kid the way he did 
because this, each soul must come to Christ on its own, but we can sacrifice ourselves under the archetype of, of, or under the example of our archetype to do what we can to keep them right before God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we can, um, obviously Jared, you're talking about, you know, praying for our children. My son, Jay, he can't pray for himself. And when he's sick, who's, who's going to pray for Jay? If I know me and his mom, I, I cannot tell you the number of times that I have interceded with God on my kids' behalf because they can't. And, and praying for mercy for your children. Lord, they're sick. They don't understand. Or they're scared. They don't understand. Lord, you know, Lord, they don't know how to pray to you. I'm So I'm praying to you for them. But, you know, there may be a, a situation where somebody's listening and they've got kids who are old enough to pray but they won't. And for the parent who's there, who has a child that they wish would go to God, you can still pray for that child. You can still pray for God's gracious mercy to be extended to them through time that they would, that they would have an opportunity, additional opportunities to, to come to know him uh, and minister that word to them. So I would say if you're a parent that has a kid who's old enough to pray and won't keep praying for them, uh, you can intercede for your, for your kid in that way. And and I'll go ahead and throw another on top of this that I, I know you'll acknowledge when we, when I say it, but if you have a kid that can pray and is praying, pray for them also. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. For we, sure. you know, we, we all need each other's prayers continually. And you know, obviously I've got older children that are capable of praying on their own and that do pray on their own, but I pray for them still. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, you guys are old enough to pray for yourselves, but we, we offer prayers for brothers and sisters. And, you know, there's a book we all read and then I love this line in it particularly. What if we behaved like we truly needed each other's prayers? Yeah. And, and that hit home. Um, this mindset, you know, we'll get off on another topic, but this should be a role that dads are filling and it doesn't matter like Job, his kids were grown, but this was a, a role he was still filling on their behalf. Yeah. Offering these pleasing sacrifices to God, asking for his blessings on his kids. Yeah. I mean, we, we ask each other for, you know, to, to pray for one another all the time, you know, it's part of who we are. And that opens up kind of an, another facet of this is that not only is it the dad's job to lead the charge of being a priest who, and we haven't even really gotten into the the description of what Jesus does as priest, but we will. And when we, when we get to that, it'll click. But as we go to God and interact with him through our study, through our prayer, through our meditation, through our sacrifices that we offer to God. Um, we are demonstrating to those in our family what being a good priest looks like. We are demonstrating spiritual disciplines and placing a priority on having a close relationship with God. And, you know, Jared, we're showing those kids. Um, 
how to the, how to pray, right? We're showing them how how much we need. And when we say goodnight prayers with our kids, every every night we pray for somebody else. Uh, if we know that there's somebody who's hurting or is in need, we have shown them a pattern of praying for people and interceding for people who are outside of our family, right? Because that's our job as priests. We go to God, we pray, and we intercede. And so that's another thing we can do. Yeah, I'm going to add a little bit to this as well, Christopher. Sure, man. Um, and it's going to be our you know quarter of the way or halfway through the episode reminder of what we're not saying. And coming back to this idea that that women are priests as well. And I, we need to be careful not to pin the husband and the wife against one another mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, the man is is stalking around his kingdom, boasting about how great he is, that he's the one that's in charge and that he's the, the main priest and, and so on. The ideal is that both the husband and the wife are joint priests in taking their family and showing their family how to live. But I, I want to come back to kind of what the theme of the episode is with biblical masculinity. So think about the concept of God's qualifications that he's put on leaders over his church. He specifically says in First Timothy chapter 3, that it is the man who is not fit to lead the church if he can't manage his own household. Because the question is asked, how can he care for God's church if he can't manage his own household? Yeah. I may imply that a woman is not qualified to be the wife if their household is not in order, but it strictly puts this responsibility on the man. And if we're all aspiring to be image bearers and priests that lead people to Christ, then I think that we can take this principle and overlay it onto the family and say, so whenever you look in the scriptures at God's specific qualifications for a leader over the church, an elder, a bishop, a pastor, however it is that you want to classify this, He says specifically that one of the qualifications is that a man is able to manage his household. And he said, because that is going to open the window up to understanding if he's truly going to be able to take care of God's church. And I believe the idea that's being put forth there is if he's able to train his children up, then he's going to be able to equip other people and train them up. Now, I want to take particular notice here that, Although I think it's probably implied that an elder's wife can't be an elder's wife if their household isn't in order, but it specifically puts the, the bulk of the responsibility here on the man in the relationship. And so just taking that into consideration, you, you feel this great amount of responsibility to be the one that takes the charge and to equip your wife and your kids in a way that shows that bulk of work over the over the part of your lifetime and their lifetime that shows that you're a good leader. Yeah, very well said. I, I think that's a, an excellent point. Of it's on us, and yeah, being that being that leader is is part of what demonstrates a man's quality to be able to serve as an elder in God's church. And 
you know, the priests, they, man, they, they, in the Old Testament, you know, we talked about how that that's where we get the, the bulk of our information about what a priest is. We have a few examples like Melchizedek, you know, Abraham, who kind of acted as a priest, uh, Joseph or Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. We have a few of these examples, but most of it comes from the law of Moses. And the priests were primarily charged with knowing and understanding the law of God so that they would be able to facilitate how others under their care and under their charge should serve God and, and walk before him. And also, whenever they made mistakes, would be able to teach them and admonish them from the law and go to God on their behalf and make sacrifice uh, to redeem them. And I think that that's what we as dads have to do in our own specific families is we are charged with knowing the law, knowing the law, being able to teach and instruct it. And I know we're kind of getting back onto the prophet idea that we talked about last episode, but it's our job to make those things right and to you know, if you think about what the priest's whole job was, it was to facilitate the caretaking and cultivation and maintaining of a safe space for the people to interact with God. The priest's sacrifices and rituals were on God's terms to create the tabernacle, which was a model of the throne room of God in heaven, where people could approach God in a way that was safe for them. Now, being the priest and approaching God was not a safe job, not in the least. Um, tradition has, and I think we may have mentioned on this podcast before, that the high priest, when he went into the holiest place once a year, had a cord tied around his waist so that if something happened and he uh, transgressed and caused a breach before God and God killed him, no one else would have to go in and they could haul him out by the cord. So, being a high priest was kind of a big deal. Um, and I'm not saying that we're under threat um, by God, but it's still our job to go to God and then to cultivate and maintain this space in our families where we can serve God in a way that's good and a way that he has commanded us to do. So tying a couple of these points together and, and something that really illustrates what Jeffrey was talking about from the scripture. We see the position of high priest become something part of the hierarchical structure structure. It was a place of, of secular honor, something people wanted because they were revered by men, kind of that right. parasitical idea. And we see that executed in the, in the New Testament, the way they ran that role of high priest. He was kind of pompous. He was a little out of place. He wasn't serving the role as God wanted it served. Right. This gives us a good transition point and a pivot to what our archetype is, what our example is yeah. of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.11 says, but Christ becoming, but when Christ appeared as a high priest for the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
the securing an eternal redemption. So Christ in executing the role is the high priest going back to a priesthood older than the Mosaical covenant, right? To the order of Melchizedek, as we're told in Hebrews, he executed this role by taking his own blood into the holiest before God, the father that he bore that sacrifice, that the, burden of that sacrifice let's say and took that responsibility for everyone that would come after him before god and it wasn't esteemed highly great when he was executing that sacrifice when he's performing that sacrifice he was ridiculed and mocked and spit upon and he carried those duties out anyway so that he could fulfill this sacrifice before god you know jared it just it just dawned on me, like, you know, when you think about what the priest did in the sacrifice, I mean, when you went to work that morning at the, at the tabernacle or at the temple, I'm sure your clothing was pristine white, but at the end of the day, you were covered in blood and ichor and smoke and you were filthy. A priest's hands were caked in blood. And when we then see Jesus going to the throne room of God, having been mutilated, we see the image of those priests doing service in the tabernacle. He comes not without blood, as Hebrews says, and He's he's covered in blood. His hands are sticky. His feet are sticky. His head and back, his side are sticky with blood. And another thing is that the priest has their hands dirty, you know. And we, as as fathers, have to be first in the in the hard work of serving Christ. We can't just sit back and let other people do the work. We've got to have our hands in it. There's an idea that rides along with this, especially when we're talking about Christ as our example and the standard by which we should measure ourselves and strive towards. Not that we will ever be Jesus, but the priests were commanded in the Mosaical Covenant to keep themselves pure, Mm -hmm. that they had to maintain that standard of living of just before God to execute their duties as priests. Because if they didn't do so, it would profane the tabernacle and it would profane God's people in the eyes of outsiders. And we see Jesus execute that role perfectly. That reference you made to Hebrews of coming to the holiest place, not without blood. The high priests were offering sacrifice on their own behalf. And Jesus, because he was perfect, was able to offer himself as the sacrifice for everybody. Mm, That's a great point. As we transition this into considering how we are to be, we're not Jesus and we're not perfect. And the sacrifices, as we've mentioned, this God's word is, and, and his salvation is applied to all people, those, to, those who will answer his call. And so everyone is brought into this nation of priests and kings, but it is the father's responsibility to lay down his life for the family and the sake of the family to give our blood as it were 
to the dedication of this family before God, the consecration of our families before God. And we do that by going through our priest, thus being Jesus. Hebrews 4, verse 16 there says, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. And so as we've talked about the responsibility of husbands and fathers, because all Christians serve this job for one another, with one another, it is our job to make sure this role is being carried out. Jesus is the high priest. We are, we are priests below him. And so we're executing this job and this role for our family, taking our problems, taking our thanksgivings, our needs to our high priest who has entered into the holiest of holies before God. Yeah. And the, the beautiful thing about what the priest does is they incur personal risk. Uh, they, they sacrifice to go to God and through that interaction with they have with God through that sacrifice and going through those prescribed rituals in the law, they bless the people. They do something different than the people. They go to the holy place and then they're cleansed further. They go into the most holy place and they receive from God that grace. And then they come back from that journey to the most holy place. And then they bless the people. And I think we have a picture of this. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I mean, Hebrews is just full of these Christ priest analogies, but Hebrews well, 10, specifically, 19, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we're talking a lot about Hebrews. We're talking a lot about Jesus being this priest. For anybody who's listening to this, go study Hebrews 4 through about 7. That can extend into chapter 10 as well. Mm-hmm. But that really shows the depth and the breadth of, of just how Jesus has been able to become this high priest that is sustainable and most effective. So right. sorry to interrupt you on that, Christopher. I just wanted no, to toss it, that out there real quick. No, that's gold. I'm glad you did because that whole passage, that whole discourse is the writer of Hebrews is trying to demonstrate logically the superiority of Christ over the priesthood of Moses. And it's he makes the case there. Uh, but, but but going back to Hebrews 10, 19, here's this idea of going to the place of God and coming back to, re, to share that blessing. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So that's all great. Like that's us throwing back the curtain, striding into the holy place in total confidence, not in me, but 
in total confidence that the sacrifice of Jesus has made that a safe space for us now. But that's not where it ends. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We go to that interaction with God, that fellowship and union we have through Jesus and what he did for us. And then we bring that blessing out to others. We stir each other up to love and good works. Now, the context I think of Hebrews is in the the greater context of the church. But again, the family is the proving ground of the church. We've got to do this for our own families as well. We go, we receive that blessing from God because of what Jesus has done for us. And then we inspire our families to love each other more and to be a people zealous for good works. Christopher, I agree. And I'm going to add an additional layer of complexity to some of this. So the passage (laughs) that, that you talked about here in Hebrews chapter 10 there's some some language used that that really talks about um, holding fast, and mm-hmm. I'm going to pull back some of the things that you said in terms of the the diligence that's involved in this role. Um, whenever you go back and you look in the Old Testament, you saw essentially three different layers to the priesthood. You had the Levites as a tribe um, that was a family or a tribe. But just because you were a Levite didn't mean that you would automatically be a priest. Now, you could only be a priest if you were of the tribe of Levi, but it didn't mean the other way around. But you did still have a responsibility to assist the priests and serve the temple. And that may meant that you helped prepare the sacrifice. It may help meant that you helped take care of the temple, make repairs. You may have been a musician or a singer or a doorkeeper, uh, so on. Yeah. But this was not a responsibility that happened all the time. You know, generally at the age of 25, they would start being this Levite servant of the priest. Um, David changed that a little bit to where it was later. They started training whenever they were 20, but by the time they were 25, they were serving the priesthood there. But they weren't priests, and they had this rotation where they didn't spend all of their time at the service of the temple. Most of the year, they had their own homes, they had their own businesses to take care of, and they just took turns performing the duties assigned to them based on a schedule. Priests, on the other hand, was a smaller group of Levites that were specifically the sons of Aaron and met specific qualifications, and this was a much more in-depth job. And then you had the high priest, which was one. He was the main representative of the people in relation to God. He was the one that went into the holy place and so on. The reason that I I bring all of these complexities and layers into this is to say, you know, number one, whenever we opened up with first Peter, we are all these priests and there is an aspect of holding fast and consistency that comes with that role. And it doesn't mean that you show up to the assembly and do the work of the church twice a year or even just once a week. I mean, it's not just, you know, oh, well, I'm on the schedule to do this, so I'm going to step in and do it. No, there's a consistency and a bulk of work here that has to be considered. And it's of utmost importance. 
And it takes the priority in these priests' lives. And that extends to what we're doing today. Where just like we have all of these blessings that we can go before the Father with boldness, with that also comes great responsibility to be consistent and to be intentional in what we're doing. And as that relates to fathers, that means that you don't just take your family to the assembly and sit there like a bump on the log. Right. And you especially do it more than a few times per year or even just once a week. Like you're being intentional in everything that you do, the things that you've talked about, praying with your kids, teaching your kids to pray, teaching your kids about God and about Jesus and how to be these image bearers in a way that's truly going to equip them to be successful priests moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, the the priests and the high priests, they had higher standards that were expected of them that would allow them to serve. You know, there was, there were um, requirements that the priest not err through wine, right? In other, in other words, God warned, and I can't find the reference right now that when, when the priest goes into the tabernacle to do service, uh, that you not be drunken, um, basically, or you'll die, right? You will, you will trespass against the Lord and he'll break out against you. Very similar to Nadab and Abihu. Now, the Bible does not say that they were intoxicated or aired through wine, um, but they brought a profane sacrifice and, and God judged them for it. And I think that that teaches us a couple of things as dads is we've got to be sober minded and clear thinking. Now, is that a statement about sobriety? Absolutely, it is. We as dads cannot afford to be intoxicated or inebriated through substances, or we won't be able to lead our families clearly. But another thing is that we must also be sober in that we are clearly understanding and not blinded by sin. We have to not be deceived. We've got to be thinking clearly, using our good reason, not be blinded by lust, blinded by pride, blinded by ignorance to what God would have us to do. And so, yeah, as dads, we have that that same or similar uh, impetus from God to also be. And we see in Hebrews, as we've kind of talked about Jesus and, and our example in this and our high priest, as we're priests serving under him, that he was perfect in those things. Mm-hmm that he fulfills that example and that role perfectly, which as we read in Hebrews four enables him to be the high priest on our behalf. And so as priests, we do our job in serving our family, serving our communities, those around us. And then it strikes me right now. I've talked a lot about our, our responsibilities within the family and there was a couple of points I want to make as we push through this to echo something Jeffrey talked about. I think it's important to notice and to realize that as husbands and the responsibilities that we have put upon us, that we don't abuse the authority that we have. Our authority is given for the purpose of the service of others and to execute this role in 
serving others and helping them serve God. We see priests throughout the old covenant, the Mosaical covenant, not execute that role and not train people behind them. We see that when Eli is the priesthood is removed from his family and with Samuel, though he was a prophet, his children were not behaving in serving the role of helping execute worship for the people. And that's what pushed them away from God towards the King. And we see Paul command Timothy to execute this role as a priest in God's kingdom to equip other people behind him that would do this work also. And we see Jesus equip his apostles and, and work hard to equip his apostles and be diligent in that work. And so we have that responsibility as husbands to equip our wives, to help our marriage become an example of the gospel that the world sees of Christ and his church and equip our children so that they see our family being a place where God can be found because that's what the priests help people do was access God. And so we help our children access God. And as a family unit, we help those around us gain access to God, which we see there's an example of first Corinthians 14, when God's people are together, an unbeliever comes in and falls on his face and worships God and says, God is among you. Our family should be a microcosm of that. Yep. It's, it's just like how, the tabernacle or the temple was in the middle of their society. Like you knew, you knew that's the place you could go to get access to God. And instead of there being one place to go and access God, God has said, you go be my ambassadors because all the sacrifice has already been made. You go tell people that the sacrifice is done and, and how to gain a blessing from that. And so, yeah, we have a role in our families, but as men of God, as people who are living and moving in our communities, we have a responsibility to be people of God and, and serve as priests to those around us who don't pray, can't pray, don't know how to pray, right? And so I think there's that responsibility to our larger communities. And, and that could that can sound really arrogant. I don't mean it that way. I mean that in the, in a very humble way. Of there are people who who don't know God, and it's our job to be able to introduce them. Right. And you know all of this stuff. You've got to be careful because we've seen these jobs executed poorly, and that is not anything new. We've we've talked about the examples from the Old Testament where we see it not executed well. We see it from the New Testament. These jobs weren't executed well. They were looking to protect their own positions because for them it was a position of authority over people where they got to serve as lords in their own little world. And it's not that for us, and it should never be that for us. And if we're doing this properly, we have equipped everyone around us that has the desire to serve God to help keep us in check because we have equipped them as priests also. And... Yeah. As we execute this role with this thought process of being the place by which and through which people can find God, people can find Christ, Paul makes the statement about preaching the gospel that he didn't preach the gospel because it brought him glory. He said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And we, we talked about that with the role of the prophet, but that should be the mindset 
this is this is how I have to live because I am changed. I love Second Corinthians five that you that you brought up that we're ambassadors to Christ. Mm-hmm. Our world is changed, and and because our world is changed, we're seeking to change everyone's world around us. Absolutely. Well, this has been a really interesting discussion. I knew we were going to have a good time talking about these topics that that we care very deeply about, very passionate about, guys. Um, next week, we are going to talk about our role as husbands um, and kings and what that would look like, not as the uh, the domineering tyrant, but as the beneficent uh, head and beneficent ruler of our home. We're going to talk about some concepts about how we ingest God's word and then from that create a structure for leading our home that honors Christ above all and that brings rich blessings to our family. So I'm very excited about that episode. We hope that you'll tune in next week and and get some of that as well. Uh, It's my turn to pray. uh, So we'll do that in just a moment. But we thank you for listening. Thank you for taking part in this. We hope it's been a blessing to you. If there is a, a person in your life who would who would also benefit or be blessed from this, please share it with them. Let them know about the good work we're doing here on the Brother Cousins podcast and uh, let them know what we're about. So we will talk to you next week and we'll pray at home. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you provided Jesus to be our high priest, to come before you with a sacrifice of his own precious blood. And by that sacrifice, we've been given the privilege, the right, the authority, and the blessing to come before you boldly and ask for help in time of need. Lord, we as as men take that responsibility so gravely that you have allowed us to be priests and kings within your kingdom, along with our other brothers and sisters in, in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would help us to execute that duty faithfully in a way that is sincere and genuine, done out of wisdom and love, and that you would help us to come before you in our interactions with you and our seeking after you and desiring you, that we would come back from that and bring a blessing to the people who depend on us. Lord, as we understand our role as priests, we also understand our our own sinfulness and our need for grace. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins so that we might stand pure before you and we might minister in a way that's acceptable to you. Lord, please help us to use all of our gifts to your greatest glory. Help us to praise you and honor you in all that we say and do. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus, your son, what he's done for us. And we offer up this prayer to you through his name. Amen.